Welcome to Frasier, the Frasier Rewatch Podcast. My name is Adrian Lara. I co-host this show with Greg Catapodi, who is a huge fan of Frasier. This guy's seen every episode multiple times, while me, on the other hand, am a newbie. I'm uh, relatively unfamiliar with Frasier. I knew of it, but never really got into it. So I'm seeing every episode for the first time. Let's do this. This is Greg Catapodi. And this is Adrian Laura. You're listening to Frasier, the Frasier Rewatch Podcast, and this is Season 1, Episode 15, You Can't Tell a Crook by His Cover. So the episode begins with Martin at the station. Roz tells a story how she met an Australian who had just gotten mugged and needed some money so he could get back to the Australian consulate. And so she gave him $20. Martin says, oh, that's the oldest scam in the book, Roz. You got scammed here. And she's like, what? And then Martin says, oh, well, there's no Australian consulate in Seattle. That's how I know you were scammed. (laughs) Roz, uh... You know, Australians can't get mugged, right? (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't know that. Ah, scammed. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen that scene of watch (laughs) Roz getting conned by some charming Australian. Yeah, I'd just be like, hello there. I've just been wearing me short shorts and walking me crocodile with me hat with crocodile teeth in it. (laughs) When I was down on me luck and lost me wallet, it wasn't taken from me on account of me being Australian and I'm incapable of being mugged. (laughs) But you're a smart lady and you'd know that already. I just need $10 to get down to the old Australian consulary do. That's our name for consulate. So I can get all sorted super straight. (laughs) And Roz will be like, oh, you're so charming with your accent. Of course, I'll give you some cash to get to the consulate. Oh, that's plum dinkum. What? (laughs) That's plum dinkum it is. So yeah, we just Googled what fair dinkum meant, and it means fair or true. So it seems like half of that phrase is not necessary. Mm -hmm. You could just say fair. Or dinkum, which either. I go with dinkum. I like the idea of just making up stereotypes about cultures and saying, everyone knows that Australians cannot be mugged. (laughs) It's impossible. Italians cannot go up or down stairs. (laughs) Oi, I'm the Australian law devil, and I'm going to spring a whirlwind of torts for you. Have you been attacked by a runaway kangaroo or backed over by a lorry? (laughs) That ain't dinkum, and that ain't fair. (laughs) <laughs> Call me and I'll fight for you. Right, mate. Say habla espanol. So, Frazier is confident. He knows without a doubt that unlike Roz, he cannot be calm. He's an expert. He's a psychiatrist. He's so intelligent that no one could ever con him. The father is going to have a poker game. He's going to put Frazier to the test to see how good he is at spotting criminals. Right. He's going to have two cops and one criminal, and Frazier's going to be able to pick him out because we all know Frazier can smell a pig. (laughs) But yes, he says something like, it's it's his pure Frasier writer room stuff. The bed is on. What truffles are to pigs, so are these charlatans and pedophagers to my mental acuity. Roz is, of course, what is wrong with this man? Why are you like this, Frasier? And I think Frasier leaves the room. Martin says to Roz, back when Frasier was born, his mother smoked. Right. 
All right, uh, Mrs. Crane, you've been smoking a pack a day like I uh, told you to. Yep, that's right. I want to make sure Frazier's nice and healthy. Ah, good, good. Now, uh, you've ensured to paint his crib with lead paint. Yes, I have. We asked our paint guy to put in some extra lead. Want to make sure Frazier's nice and strong and healthy. Excellent. You don't want to make him weak with any of that girly communist acrylic paint. Then finally, make sure you add DDT, nice pure DDT, to his bottle when you feed him every morning. Oh, yes, great idea. Uh, sure you've been smoking, but have you been drinking, too? Uh, well, well, I get a little nauseous when I drink. Now, Poppycock, make sure you make it a double whiskey, at least two cigarettes upon waking. We're going to have a nice, healthy, full-weighted baby <laughs> with no trace of fetal alcohol syndrome or baldness. <laughs> it's what's best for the baby, then. It's what's best for me. Thank you, doctor. And then the, the doctor says, sure thing, Toots, slaps her on the <laughs> ass and sends her on away. This is 1960, see? <laughs> We're so bad at medicine. (laughs) We get to the poker night. None of the other guests have arrived. It's just Martin, Frazier, Daphne, and Eddie. Uh, So Daphne, of course, is suggesting that Eddie needs to take a bath. Martin tells Daphne, don't say it. He's right here. He can hear you. She's like, don't say what? That he needs a -A B-A-T-H? And then (laughs) Eddie's gone. He just like... F this bath stuff. Yeah. So Eddie can spell... Right. This is an amazing dog. You need to report this dog to the government, like the government agency that would kidnap this dog and then vivisect him to figure out what is going on with his spelling center of his brain. This dog is smarter than most people from Alabama. <laughs> but this is like a genius dog. There should be articles. They should bring him up on like Good Morning Today and shit. Like, they be like, we've got the smartest dog in the world. Here comes Eddie Crane. He comes out and Martin's giving interviews with him and he should have a nightclub act. Can a dog be president? (laughs) Yeah. I would love it if Eddie got his own spinoffs, like his own movies and everything. Eddie the president, why not? Technically, he is born on American soil, so citizenship should be handled. And then if we consider dog years, I think if he's at least five, he would be eligible to run for president. Look, if Trump can be elected president, (laughs) I think a dog that can spell would be a (laughs) shoe-in. Eddie versus Trump. Let's see who wins. Yes, uh, so maybe, you know, you could have, like, Eddie Bud or Air Eddie, I don't know, or... Uh... Yeah, why not have Air Bud kind of spin up with Eddie, with his amazing spelling bee? We... So there's an attorney in a courtroom. Your Honor, there's nothing in the rule books that says a dog cannot compete in a spelling bee. <laughs> well, I have no choice but to rule in Eddie's favor. <laughs> and the whole town's like, yay! <laughs> He's going to nationals! <laughs> All this dog can spell his bath. <laughs> Because <laughs> his one like Achilles heel is if they choose a word that's not bath not for him bath. to spell. Not bath. Or like, it's like uh, under further review, this was just a complex behavioral pattern where he recognized B-A-T-H as a bath. <laughs> he's not spelling bath. He's just recognizing this. He's associating B-A-T-H as bath. He just trained him that way. This is the scientist explaining <laughs> to Martin <laughs> what happened to the dog. He's like, all right, well, that's a shame. I'd love to take him home. When can I take him home? And the is like, oh, um, uh, he's like looking around the room. Uh, um, no, we, we, to dissect him, we... <laughs> Opened up his cranium and took out his brain. Yeah. There was nothing remarkable about the dog's brain. <laughs> Martin's still kind of not getting it. He's like, he's just a normal dog. Okay, that's great. So I'd love to take him home and just get my, my best friend and my pet back. That'd be great. Maybe you could put the brain back in, right? Yeah, you could put the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, yes, we have put the brain back in with the remains <laughs> prior to cremation and destruction. <laughs> yeah, we can bring his uh, ashes back out. We've already cremated it and we put it into a fiery furnace. If you like the ashes, I mean, we don't really do that. We don't have any urns or anything, but um, we have a couple of Ziploc baggies over here. So you that... can put those back together, right? <laughs> oh my God, this made me laugh so hard. This is so dark. We <laughs> cut to the scientist has actually kidnapped Eddie and is now going to be taking him on a 50 state spelling dog tour. That's a sequel. That's a, and he's got like a seersucker suit and a straw hat. <laughs> we need more Eddie outfits. <laughs> so two police officers and one ex-felon comes in to play poker with Martin. Frazier's there observing. And these three characters are very uh, specific people. We've got a kind of butch lady. We've got a sort of strong but silent type. And we've got the other guy who has kind of a um, professor kind of look. He's got a ponytail, a beard. He's got a sweater on. It reminded me of like there was this one character from the Professor Brothers, which was this kind of independent cartoon where it was just this really like high strung, high pitched, like, let's talk Lewis and Clark. That's some crazy shit. <laughs> your president, your God basically, says we need you to walk across the entire continent. <laughs> so this is <laughs> that's a great impression. Yeah. This character, out of all the guys, he's probably the least likely, in my opinion, upon first seeing him, to have been the felon. So we have a little poker game. Fraser's eyeing them, trying to figure out which one of these guys. We got a professor brother, we got a butch lady, and we got a strong silent type guy. Fraser's eyeing them suspiciously. Before he makes his final choice to figure out which one is the felon and which two are the cops, he goes around and he's he's asking a couple questions. He's making a few comments on things that they say. So the woman says, oh, Martin, your live-in nurse is very sexy, you dirty old man. Ha 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 ha. And so Fraser jumps on this. He's like, oh, really? You think she's sexy, do you? Hmm. You must be a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what makes lesbians? Women's prisons. <laughs> <laughs> that's really not much of an exaggeration that's pretty much what he says i wrote an entire study series on this for the republican national committee <laughs> yeah frazier's making all these like i don't want to call them big leaps they're really very like quick judgments about things people say my first book prison does it make you gay by frazier crane open up the first page and it just in big bold letters y e s <laughs> Yeah, Frazier just seems very quick to call people gay. <laughs> right. Or Frazier's website, areyougay.com, and it only has one answer. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because they have a dialogue back and forth. The butch lady says, well, can't a woman, can't you notice someone's beauty? Don't you think she's attractive, Frazier? He's like, well, yes, but the woman's <laughs> prison. Don't well. dodge my accusation. Nineties <laughs> <laughs> were a different time. Different era. All right, so Frazier, he's observing the poker game. He's not playing. He's kind of watching. He's sort of asking a few questions here and there, asking someone, oh, what did you mean by that? As he's trying to figure out who is the ex-con and who are the police officers. He jokingly says, does anyone here play the harmonica by any chance? <laughs> I would have loved it if he had actually just continued on that thought process to throw out these prison stereotypes and like questioning. He's like, does any of your close friends have a teardrop tattoo on their <laughs> cheek by any chance? Does anyone... Do you know how to make ramen noodles in a bag of nachos? <laughs> 
Have you ever been at a dance and been unable to find a partner? So you grabbed a wooden chair and then did the jailhouse rock? <laughs> Is anybody here friends with Andy Dufresne? <laughs> Just doing references at this point. Have any of you ever been in pursued intractably by an investigator for stealing bread? <laughs> Did you then, after escaping prison, reform your life and become CEO of a small factory, and then have to disappear again after saving the life of someone that got crushed under some gantry, and then that same investigator had never seen someone of such strength except for that one time 20 years ago, and you look exactly like him. And then they confront you and their songs, and you have to escape again. And then finally, you spare this man's life during a revolution finally his whole world has been destroyed and he threw himself off of a bridge rather than face a world where he is wrong and you are right two four six oh one <laughs> jover jover that'll be a good minute of con oh that's a good minute of con <laughs> so in terms of plot we're about midway through the episode at this point fraser makes his choice about who he thinks is the ex-con and who's the police officer he calls everyone into his accusing room though he's mm-hmm. like he's coming to the accusing parlor <laughs> at first he picks the strong silent type he's incorrect and he's quickly switches well then it must be the butch one whose name we don't he's remember like, he's totally calling it he's like valjean at last we see each other plain it was you frank no valjean <laughs> at last we see each other plain you linda fuck it was jimmy <laughs> So finally, we find out it was Jimmy, the last one that anyone would have picked to be the ex-con. Fraser feels like a fool. He loses the bet. After everyone leaves, Daphne reveals like, Oi, Jimmy, I didn't realize he was an ex-con. If I knew that, I might not have agreed to meet him for dinner tomorrow night. All right, so Frazier tells Niles about Daphne and about the ex-con, and Niles freaks out. He's like, well, we've got supper. And so he starts getting flustered. He puts on his jacket. You know, Frazier's trying to call him down. Frazier says, no, Niles, she's her own woman. She's allowed to make her own choices. Plus, what are you going to do? And Niles says, well, I'll have you know, Frazier, I've been, my Taekwondo lessons have been really picking up. I, I, I feel I can handle myself. It's always interesting when we find out little tidbits about these characters and a a little insight into their life. (laughs) And so apparently Niles is taking Taekwondo. Right. He wants to be able to compete in blood sport one day. (laughs) Kumate. Kumate. (laughs) Kumate. I can't imagine what that would look like. Niles, him wearing a gi, having black slippers on, him in a dojo, being trained. (laughs) Sensei said I needed... (laughs) The the teenager class was the best fit for me. (laughs) Because yeah. I'm so useful, youthful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the sensei put him in the teenager class because he didn't want the grown adults to hurt him. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my sensei says I got to work with the teenagers because I have fragile bones. So <laughs> yeah. We crane boys in our hollow bones. Yeah. I could see it a situation where like Niles really wants to take Taekwondo. The instructor has to sit him down and be like, hey, uh, Niles, you know, we moved you from the adults to the teenagers, and now we're doing the under 10 youth. Right, junior judo. Or- and it's just not working out. I'm just afraid you're going to get hurt. I'm going to have to ask you to not participate in the dojo classes anymore. It's, it's for your own safety. It's for your own safety. We just, I mean, we have insurance to worry about and everything. It just, <laughs> and it's all like, I mean, if it's about money I can, and I can pay more money. No, no, it's about, um, I mean, think of it from my side, uh, Niles. I can't have you going around saying you go to my dojo. <laughs> That's just bad publicity. But if I can just get two more moves, I could be like the shaft. <laughs> 
No, um, Niles, I'm going to have to have ask you to leave the dojo. And, <laughs> and Niles was like, well, I think I'm, I, I d- deserve a refund. I paid you for six classes up front. <laughs> Niles, that money's already spent. <laughs> yeah. And then some like eight-year-old little girl walks in with like a red belt on. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I understand. You don't have to bring the muscle in. <laughs> Please, I'll leave peacefully. <laughs> Look, there's no reason to get violent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just like the roundhouse kicks him right in his hip and he yeah. just crumples yeah. picture him crawling away <laughs> like using just his hands just <laughs> just how to bring in his thugs <laughs> yeah now is crying as he's leaving <laughs> the taekwondo instructor turns to like the, the little children is like so who wants ice cream <laughs> like me so Niles and Frazier decide, okay, we have to look out for Daphne's well-being. We're going to go to this bar that she went to on this date just to make sure she's okay. They show up at the bar and it's a real rough area. You know how I know it's rough, Craig? They've got several people of color. <laughs> That's how we, the audience, know. And by the way, those of you that are listening to this episode chronologically, I predicted, and I was very pleased to check the math, every five episodes... Episode 5, episode 10, and now episode 15, there will be a black person speaking. And I was right. We had a bartender who was black. We actually had several characters kind of in the background, people of color. Which, by the way, it's it's interesting uh, how much of a motley crew right. this bar was. They there was could, no consistency. They couldn't pick a lane on the... Uh... Yeah, we had a white skinhead type guy. We had the bartender. Kind of like Shaquille O'Neal. No, I mean, they just had like they had a couple of generic lowlifes. Mm-hmm. And then like two suburban black guys that looked like maybe they were just waiting for their daughter's yeah. soccer game to end. Yeah. Third guy just looked very kind of run down and skeezy. And then... They had the the two uh, people of color. They just it, they looked like they were being dressed from like Banana Republic or something. And I was like, this is not out of place. I mean, it's <laughs> like like there is no way we're not having a criminal bar that's all white. Okay. Yeah. Because the simplest thing would have been to just make it a biker a bar. Bike. That was probably the debate uh, backstage, like in the production. The directors talking to the producer, like, well, if you want black people, fine, but it'd be a lot easier. If we just made it a biker bar, then we don't have to deal with that whole element. You guys know. <laughs> So when we arrive at the bar, we learn a little more backstory about Daphne, which I'm always excited about to find out little things we don't know about the character. <laughs> She's playing pool, and they're putting money on it. It becomes a betting situation, and Daphne's like, all right, I'll take that action. You wouldn't think a girl like me would have been playing pool since the age of six, spending all her free time outside of school inside the local pool hall. And so she's a badass pool player. She runs the table, knocks out all the balls. She wins the money. So she goes to the restroom. Frazier and Niles just miss her. They approach the bar. This guy that looks like Shaquille O'Neal. Well, because you know that Frazier's already a large man. He's like 6'3", 6'4". This guy towers over Frazier. They say, hey, we're looking for Daphne Moon. We're looking for this person. They tell him about the guy that she was with. The bartender says, oh, that dude, Jimmy? No, he's a bad dude. Bad guy. Anyone could tell by looking at him, he's a bad dude. So that's a callback to Frazier, not knowing that this guy was the felon. But it just seemed like an odd way to describe, because we've got a lot of unsavory characters in this Mm. bar, but for some reason, Jimmy was the bad guy. (laughs) Uh, Look, I'm not one to uh, object to your uh, read on people, but that guy's a skinhead? (laughs) <laughs> the is Jimmy like, worse than the skinhead? Well, look, look, we got a lot of characters in here. We got a skinhead. We got a guy that curb stomped another guy. But that guy, Jimmy, man, he was passing bad checks. So, 
That bites into my bottom line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're running a business here. Who curbs who? Not my business. <laughs> so Niles and Frazier are discussing with Daphne, and they're not watching where they're going. Frazier sort of trips while walking backwards, not watching where he's going, bumps up against another person that's there, a real unsavory character, and the guy's going to kick Frazier's ass. Frazier, of course, he doesn't want this to happen, and Daphne comes in, saves the day. So it's kind of like an empowerment sort of thing where she's actually, she's supposed to be the victim. So I kind of like from that story arc of it, originally Frazier and Niles are there to protect her. It turns out she ends up protecting them. So there's a nice sort of twist to it. The thing that, that bothers me, like, from a storyline perspective is this bad guy character that's about to beat up Frazier. I'm going to beat you up. You just cost me $200 because I was about to shoot a shot. And then you bumped against my pool cue. <laughs> He's with his skinhead guy. And then Daphne says, all right, you're about to lose 200 How about we do double or nothing? Let's settle this in a bet. I'll knock down five balls at once, I will. And so this guy decides, I'm not going to kick Frazier's ass because that's the skinhead rule. <laughs> cool. We settle fights with bar wagers. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to kick her ass. You've got a courtesy card that entitles her to yeah. settle any dispute with a wager based on billiards. I love that if that was a real thing. Like anytime you almost got your ass kicked, someone says, well, hold on. I happen to have this deck of cards here. Why don't we settle this like gamblers? Double or nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So instead of selling things with their fists, how about if Daphne beats them in a trick shot and pool, and they won't beat up Frazier and Niles. And then they just change the parameters all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Five's hard enough. You got to hit five balls in in one shot, and they're like, deal. And then right when she's <laughs> like, about to sh- shoot it, <laughs> they're like, that seems a little bit too easy. How about we put six balls? Right. Look, I've been studying story structure, <laughs> so we've already set up the stakes, but now we got to up them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes for a more satisfying resolution at the end of the episode if you make six shots instead of five. <laughs> That's great. So she she takes the shot. Why are you looking at me like that? I've been going to community college. <laughs> yeah, his skinhead buddy's like, uh, what? <laughs> what are you doing bettering yourself? We're skinheads. We don't better ourselves. Come on. Pre-calculus is a bitch. <laughs> So, slow motion shot, everyone's pausing as Daphne takes it. Right, that's like, boom, one, boom, two, boom, three, boom, four, boom, five. Here comes the six ball up, touch the sides. Operation. It didn't go in. Uh, cheese it. They get out of there. She grabs the money. Come on. She's like, come on, boys. Let's run. Let's get out of here. And they run. They use the pool stick to lock the door so the tough guys can't run after them. And that's the end of the episode. And then they realize, hey, there's a back exit. Yeah. Let's go catch up with these guys and beat the <laughs> shit out of them. Yeah, like what kind of a building has only one entrance? <laughs> got the bar shut down because fire department came and had to come yeah. out. And they're like, why do you only have one exit to this building? Yeah. <laughs> Final thoughts, Greg? Uh, Morals? What's the moral of this episode? It's okay to steal from criminals or people you do not like. <laughs> okay to steal from criminals. Like, Frazier has some very questionable morals of episodes. Would you recommend this episode? I would recommend because Frazier gets his comeuppance. You know, this is a lot of Frazier owns during this episode. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can pick out a cop. Oh, I need to help Daphne. And then you get some Daphne character development and that she's a bit street smart mm-hmm. and she's got the pool thing. But she's got to have a character that whenever she needs something, you know, she, she, can, has, it, she yeah. can has it. Oh, you didn't know I was an expert lock picker. <laughs> It's like whatever, they're trapped in a room and the there's like a bomb about to go off, a red wire, blue wire situation. You say, oh, I didn't tell you guys I worked for the bomb squad back in the day. 
<laughs> it's going to be super convenient, whatever it is. I was in the British Youth Rangers. Of course I know how to compete in biathlon. Of course, they didn't call it uh, biathlon in, in Britain. It was called ski-shooty. <laughs> I'm going to say, in terms of the episodes I've seen, I'd probably go, eh. Uh, from a racial standpoint, it's... I, ha- I don't know why I got to take it there. Uh, there's just, representation. There's representation. And just to see how, how the people of color are used. But they are in the criminal bar. So. Exactly. They're the criminal element. So it's an interesting case study in what the producers, what the filmmakers think of people of color. Because yeah, cause currently, we got one black guy that works with Frazier, three black guys that are that are in the uh, low-life bar. Yeah. So. Yeah. The numbers are definitely skewing toward the criminal low-life side. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Greg Catapody. And I've been Adrian Lara. And this has been Frasier, the Frasier Rewatch Podcast. And this has been Season 1, Episode 15, You Can't Tell a Crook by His Cover. Thanks for listening, guys. And thank you in advance for following us and subscribing to us on Patreon. Any support you can give us, whether you tell a friend about it, whether you subscribe on Patreon, money is applause. Right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh.